Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, where each week our goal is to simply get a better understanding of God's Word, the Bible. We hope you will get reading this amazing book and join us on this exciting journey. And now, here's your host, Pastor Mark Miner. Well, hello, and uh, today we're going to be looking at the book that you've all been waiting for. Well, maybe some of you have been waiting for. Welcome. My name is Mark Miner. This is the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, and this is episode number 84. And today we're going to be looking at the Song of Solomon, sometimes also known as the Song of Songs. I remember sitting in church as a young man, fifth or sixth grade, and uh, I liked to sing, but when the sermon started, it was usually pretty boring. But I would occasionally open up my Bible and read some things uh, just to entertain myself when I wasn't playing dots or doing something else. Of course, this was before cell phones and before any other kind of electronic device, so we had to use pen and pencil. But regardless, I had my Bible, I had it open, and I flipped it open, and it happened to open up to the Song of Solomon. I didn't know the Song of Solomon was in there, certainly didn't know what it contained, but my goodness, did it get my attention. When I started reading chapter 6 and chapter 7, there were words in there that I didn't think a Christian ought to be used, and for sure, using, I for sure I didn't think God knew anything about them. But I find out that he did, and we're very thankful that he did, because today we're going to be looking at the fifth book in the Books of Wisdom, Job, about suffering, uh, Psalms, about human emotion, uh, Proverbs, about uh, right behavior, Ecclesiastes, a book about philosophy or understanding ourselves, purpose, was the word I gave you for that, as I do each week. And today, as we look at Song of Solomon, the one word, understanding or description I would give you for the Song of Solomon is romance. There is no more romantic book in the Bible than the book of the Song of Solomon. So I read this and I thought, as a young man, I thought, oh, I didn't know this was in the Bible. Should it be in the Bible? And that's really been a discussion for the last uh, 2,000, 2,500 years. What is this book? What does it mean? Should we be reading it? So I hope I've uh, got you enticed a little bit. It's, uh, uh, it really is a very, uh, forgive me here, a sexy book. And God is not afraid of that term. Uh, matter of fact, he manufactured it. Uh, so uh, let's talk about that for just a moment. Uh, and I want to just give you a little tease if I can get it working correctly as I stand here at my my uh, golden microphone and getting ready to recording for you this podcast, uh, I want to be able to play a little bit uh, of the book of Song of Solomon. I oftentimes listen through the scripture. I have Bible Gateway. I've mentioned that before. It's an app on my on my iPhone 13, and I uh, a lot of times I will listen to the Bible. There's a whole different perspective when you listen to the Bible being read as there is reading it. And honestly, I had never listened through the book of Song of Solomon before. But as I prepared for this podcast, I thought, you know, I should do that. Uh huh. Uh, I wasn't prepared for the power, for the emotion, for the uh, reality of this book. And so if I can get my phone working here in just a little bit, I'm going to play for you about a minute's worth of Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Now, I use the uh, New International Version, dramatized. So it has different verses, people that can read really well, that are professional readers. So uh, maybe we'll get to that in a few moments, but let's just talk a little bit about the background 
background of Song of Solomon and even the broader picture of romance and sex. The Holy Bible presents sex and romance as both the most powerful blessing and the most dangerous weapon that there is. The desires that God built into us are the most powerful. I will say it again. They are the most powerful of all our human desires, arguably even more powerful than the desire of survival. For many men and women have sacrificed themselves for love. You might think Romeo and Juliet, of course. Or you might think the real-life story of uh, Prince Edward VIII, who in 1937 renounced his throne. He would be king of England, of Great Britain, but he renounced his throne uh, and stepped away from the royalty, at least the kingship, because he had fallen madly in love with a young American divorcee. Her name was Wallace Warfield Simpson. So in 1937, he gave up all the riches of his kingdom and his throne to pursue this lady that he had fallen in love with. Passion and romance causes us humans to do and exhibit some amazing and sometimes very irrational behaviors. Passion, sex, intrigue, romance, the Bible does not back away from any of it. And how could God? He is a designer of romance and sexuality in we humans. And of course, romance and sex is the number one weapon used against humanity by Satan who has perverted this most beautiful and intoxicating gift. Solomon, of course, would have understood that. Uh, Solomon of the man who had 700 wives, a uh, man who had everything, and, and as we learned last week talking about Ecclesiastes, he said that he, desired, he denied himself no pleasure. And yet, as Solomon writes about that, one who has understood through his wisdom as well as perhaps his experience, this amazing idea or concept of romance, uh, we want to look at it not just as Solomon's uh, theories or ideas, but as the Holy Spirit writing through, as he does every book, writing through this man to give us understand, understanding and insight into this most profound, powerful, and complex of gifts, romance and sexuality. So today we will be looking at some of the possible interpretations concerning the book of Song of Solomon. And then we're going to look at the subject of romance and sex as presented in the Bible. So let's uh, go on into the key concepts of the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, first of all, we, uh, many will say, I believe, that the writer of Song of Solomon is Solomon. There are some who believe that it was just a connection of sonnets or a compilation, I should say, of uh, songs, poems, sonnets. Maybe Solomon had something to do with it. Maybe he didn't. But I think we can make a very good case that Solomon is the author. And part of that is documented, not just in what he says, but in the names of the cities, uh, certainly some of the testimonies that he gives and the specifics. And especially, uh, the book is laden full of spices. And during the period of Solomon, uh, there were spices from all over the world that were coming and flowing into Israel, to Solomon's kingdom, because, of course, he had the wealth to buy this very expensive and exotic commodity called spices. So that lends some credibility to Solomon being the author of the book as well. Let's look at a couple of possible interpretations of the meaning of this book called Song of Solomon. 
for hundreds of years, particularly in the Western church, the English church, uh, John Wesley and others uh, contribute to this, contributed to this idea that the Song of Solomon is really an allegory. In other words, it's one that speaks of human uh, behaviors, but it has a theological view. Uh, certainly, I can quote some verses out of the Song of Solomon, and you'll find them uh, in, familiar in your hymnals if, if you've uh, sung through the hymnals. For example, he's the fairest of 10,000, straight from the book of Song of Solomon. He's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. Again, phrases used from Song of Solomon. And the idea here is that in this interpretation, that the Song of Solomon is really not talking about romance and sexual things because God wouldn't really talk about that, would he? But they're all an allegory. There's a symbolism and a meaning behind it that has to do with uh, the lover. Uh, King James will talk about the lover and the beloved. The lover, of course, is Christ, and he is pursuing the beloved. And the interpretation of many of these uh, theologians would be that the beloved is the bride of Christ. It's us, the church, if you're a believer. And so, therefore, it's an allegory full of uh, symbolic meaning. Well, there's another interpretation, and I believe it to be the correct interpretation. And that interpretation is that it is God uh, telling us that he actually is, uh, is aware of our sexuality uh, he even uh, endorses it. Uh, if I can right now, I'm going to turn this on and see if we can listen to Song of Solomon, chapter 7, uh, the first uh, eight or nine verses, if you will. So just listen to me right now. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet mm. that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabbam. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking mm. toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. Very romantic. How beautiful you are, and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. Okay, we're going to end it right there. I, I think that's enough for our podcast today. Listen to what he was saying there. Now, that's the New International Version, but King James, New American Standard, it's not a, a lot different. And that's what I was reading as a fifth grader in my Bible. And I was astounded that God would use words like breast. And that uh, when I get that analogy, that picture in my head of the romance, of the passion, of the desire, the physical desire, uh, for me personally, I, I, can't, I can't believe that it's just an allegory. I, I believe that Solomon, uh, through the, the Holy Spirit, through him, is explaining something that God created for mankind, and that is the idea of romance, physical attraction. 
and marital love. And indeed, when you read through the chapters in Song of Solomon, uh, it truly seems like it is uh, a lover chasing after the beloved. There's a conversation. There are others, the friends, the, the guests of the wedding, if you will, that are there speaking their comments and doing their part. But it really is a very sensual book. And I, I have to be honest, when I was listening to that the other day, I, I kind of got caught up in, oh my goodness, this, this is different listening to it than it is just reading it. So I uh, hope, hope you're okay with that. But, uh, well, you ought to be. It's God's Word, not mine. So I don't have anything to say about it. It's the Bible. But I would just simply remind you that the Bible is full of reality, particularly in the sexual or the sensual way. God uh, speaks of seductions. He, he speaks of rapes, which were throughout the Bible in different places and situations. Solomon's son actually raped one of Solomon's daughters. And we read about Amnon and Tabar uh, in uh, the book of Kings. But there's also betrayals and adulteries. Uh, and then, of course, in the law, we have rules for sexual conduct, who we may and may not marry and what we should do regarding our sexuality. So I think the book of Song of Solomon really really is maybe a wake-up call to us, not to our desires, but to the power that romance provides for us as humans. So, so let's move on to a second key concept here. Uh, as I said, I believe that it's not just an allegory. Uh, I think it's also a, a true picture of uh, celebrating romance, physical attraction, and marital love. So I think it could be both of those combined together. So let's look at the second key concept here, and that has to do with uh, the God who created attraction and desire. Look, my friends, my listeners, God is no prude. Uh, nobody, Hugh Hefner didn't invent sex. Uh, nobody before God ever came up with the concept. It's not a human design. It is a holy God-birthed design. He is not embarrassed of sexual romance. I think it was Martin Luther that said that God hid his eyes when a husband and a wife made love. Uh, sorry, Martin, uh, I don't think so. I think God created it. And in the context of the marriage bed and in the family, God is very pleased and very uh, fulfilled when we embrace one another. It truly is the idea of the two becoming one which in a sense is what happens with Christ and his church, with the bride and the groom. And so much throughout the Bible has to do with the marriage and the consummation of that marriage. Of course, in Revelation 19, we're going to have a wedding feast, uh, the marriage of the bride and the groom, Jesus the, the groom, and he's coming back someday for us, his bride, dressed in white linen, linen spotless and pure without wrinkle, that's, those are all terms that have to do with marriage and with sensuality. So, so God's not a prude. He's not embarrassed. Uh, he is also more aware of the power, both positively and negatively, of our sexuality than any other individual or entity uh, in the universe. I want to look just for a moment. I love biology. I, I think the body is the most uh, complex of all creations. Did you know there are more synapses? Those are connections for your brain. There are more synapses in your brain than there are stars in the universe. 
That's how complex we are as human beings. He knit us together in our mother's womb. Psalms 139 says we are fearfully, wonderfully, amazingly made. So let's look at, uh, as we talk about the uh, attraction and desire, let's, let's look at uh, three things here. Let's talk about the physiology of the male and female body. I mean, God created us male and female. I know what the political climate's saying today. Forget it. Go with the word of God. The Bible says you're a male or a female, and that takes place at the moment of conception. And if I can just further that biological uh, concept, uh, whichever sperm wins the race to fertilize the mother's egg, if it's an X, it becomes a girl. If it's a Y, then you are a male. You are a boy at the moment of conception. It is defined. And the wonderful thing is they are different. And if the Y chromosome enters the egg, the ovum of the woman, then that, uh, there is a chemical, testosterone, many, many other things as well, that are released into that egg. The egg's about the size of a grain of sand floating down the mother's fallopian tube as it becomes fertilized. But at that moment, testosterone is released. That is not the case when the X sperm wins or fertilizes the egg. But when the Y does, there's a, there's a change that transforms everything about us. There's a system called the Mullerian system, which is uh, for the woman. And at that, as the, the zygote develops from the zygote, that's the moment of conception, to a blastocyst, uh, to uh, ultimately an uh, embryo and a fetus. But as uh, the body, the human body unfolds, uh, the Y chromosome releases the testosterone and other signals uh, in males so that their genitals, their development is different than the females. Ladies, uh, you have two ovaries, and those two ovaries, that's called the Mullerian system. Those two ovaries contain eggs, and the moment you are born, you have every egg that you will ever have resident in those ovaries. And of course, at maturity, uh, and then those eggs begin to be released. And I'll just end it right there with that biological discussion. But I'll move to the male and say that the male has those same components. But because of the Y chromosome uh, fertilizing the egg, those ovaries drop down and they become what we might call gonads or testes, and they create the sperm. God in his infinite, and I, I know you didn't come from biology here, but look, friends, the Bible is very biological. God did all that. God created our physiology as male and female, and we should be proud of what we are and thankful that God has given us gender uh, so that we can enjoy the physicalities of our body. Uh, second point in, in this area here is that the mechanics and the apparatus of lovemaking. And again, I'm not going to go into some things that we probably shouldn't necessarily talk about on uh, uh, an open microphone like this. Of course, on television, they're talking about everything, so I don't guess it really matters. But uh, God wired us and plumbed us so that we could have this gift of romance and sexuality, of lovemaking. And, and a third component here, and I think a very key one, is all the chemicals, we call those neurotransmitters, that God has placed in the human body. 
And those neurotransmitters, uh, they uh, cause us to be, uh, to have desire. They, they give us needs. They give us wants. They give us arousal. They give us so many different things. But one of the things that those chemicals do, particularly in a woman, it's called oxytocin. That's the chemical that bonds you to a person that you have physical relationship with, sexual relationship with. You are bonded. Whether you like that person or not, whether you know their personality, whether whatever the situation, there's a physical bonding that takes place in the process of, of sex and sexuality that bonds uh, men and women together. Women, it's oxytocin is that neurotransmitter. In men, it is vas vasopressin. The oxytocin is actually stronger, kind of explains why really good girls sometimes end up with really not so good guys, uh, because they're more bound. They're, there's a chemical bond, whereas men, the vas vasopressin is not nearly as strong. There is, it is called the monogamy hormone sometimes, but it does bind us together. And there's, an, there's a purpose for that, which indeed brings us to the third uh, point under our key concepts for today. Not only did we have a God who created attraction and desire, but there's a purpose for that attraction. Let me read to you the very first commandment. No, not the ones that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, the ones, the one that God gave Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The very first commandment, it came before sin. Genesis 1:28 says this, and God blessed them. And he said to them, and here's the commandment, the very first commandment, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Did, did you catch that? Did you catch what God is saying to us, to Adam and Eve? He's saying, be fruitful and multiply. Well, how's that going to happen? Oh, yeah. Romance. Sex. God is commanding the first couple to enjoy their marriage and to be bound together with this gift he has given them of sexuality. Now, here's why we need to understand that. Because God's greatest gift to us is family. That's all God's ever wanted. And he had family in the Garden of Eden until sin came about. And that family became dysfunctional and were dysfunctional to this very day. Praise God, Jesus came to bring back the function and the holiness and the integrity to family. And so now as Christians, we can, we don't always do this, but we can hold on to the holiness that is the sacred institution of family. Did you know that there would be no church? There would be no need for church if there hadn't become sin in the first family because the family would have been the first church and the home that you live in would have been your sanctuary. But of course, sin entered in and we became dysfunctional. God's heart has always been toward family. What he says in the book of Revelation, and for thy pleasure, you were created. We are created because God has a seat for us at his table. He wants us to be with him, part of his family. He can't be a father if he doesn't have children. And the angels are his messengers. They are his servants, but they aren't his kids. Only you and I can be his kids. So as we think about the book of Song of Solomon, why did God write all this? What was he talking about? Well, he was, he was enticing us and, and perhaps giving us some insight and wisdom as to why this beautiful gift has been given us. Because what God wants is to bond us together, husband and wife, as it says in the Old Testament, and Jesus reiterated in the New Testament, also in the book of Ephesians, and the two shall become one. 
My friend, it, it's sex and romance that holds us together. It's a chemical situation. It's a soulish or a social and emotional situation. Of course, it's the physical aspect of it too. But what God really wants is a home where a mom and dad are ideally bounded together for all for life till death do us part, of course, but for sure during that period of time when they're raising children so that our families, our kids, human beings, of course, are the only children that need raised for 12, 13, 15, 20 plus years. No other place in nature do we see uh, uh, parents nurturing their children, only humans. And it's not because we're weak. It's because we're made in the image of God and God bonds us together. And then he sends us out to find that one, that husband or wife for us, that we might bond to and the sexuality is what bonds us to one another. It is the most important glue that keeps husbands and wives attracted and attached to each other, body, soul, and spirit. Hope this makes some sense to you. And as we're talking about uh, this incredible book, the last of the five books of wisdom, the Song of Solomon, as we've been talking about romance. Uh, this book elevates romance and sex from just a biological act, which is what the world says. We hook up and we don't think about the reality of what it is, but the Bible's very clear. It is a spiritual act, an act of holiness, of integrity, of grace. It's, it's a gift to husbands and wives where the two may become one, just as we are to become one with God. In the spiritual sense, the husband and wife become one uh, in the sense of the body, soul, and spirit. Song of Solomon. Wow, what a book. If you, if you have got Bible Gateway or some way to listen to it sometime, I would recommend the dramatized version because it really does give you some insight into uh, all the different aspects that God is speaking of. A memory verse. I always give you a memory verse for each book. I try to keep it short. Song of Solomon doesn't have all that many verses that you would have heard in a sermon, but I would remind you Song of Solomon 2.4. It simply says, His banner over me is love. And God's banner over you today, yesterday, and forever is love. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We'll be looking forward to next week when we begin uh, the major prophets, and we'll be talking about uh, a giant among the prophets, the man by the, not physically, but in the length and the depth of what he prophesied and what he spoke of, and that is, of course, Isaiah the prophet. Thank you for being a part today. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you next week on the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to our channel. And if you would be so kind, share it with your friends who might enjoy it. We would also love it if you would leave us a review. It really does help us. Join us next week for another episode as we work our way through the Bible book by book. Have a blessed week.